Hey everybody, we have a new sponsor and a special deal for our listeners of Karen Isn't Always Right. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan, or videotapes, audio tapes, or film reels that you need to import, you should check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name, Karen Isn't Always Right, when you order, you're going to get 5% off and a portion of your order is going to help support the podcast, Karen Isn't Always Right. All of those formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All your memories can be stored safely on the cloud or even a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AV Gear Guy has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media and they can accept orders from anywhere in the U.S. Don't forget to mention the name of Karen Isn't Always Right and get 5% off. For more details and to book, visit their website at avgearguy.com. That's avgearguy.com. Hey everyone, Christopher here with another special episode of Karen Isn't Always Right. Uh, today I have Crystal on, who uh, is a colleague of mine. Uh, she's a general manager of, of a theater uh, in Oklahoma, and uh, I gotta tell you, I have a lot of respect for this this young woman. She uh, has progressed very, very quickly uh, through the ranks in our company, and um, has just stood out to me as someone who clearly cares very, very deeply about uh, the people she works with and her job, and it's just so evident in, in everything that she says and does, and um, it was really cool that uh, she came on the show and, and we got to, to talk for a little bit about how she got into it and why she got into it and what she loves about it. So uh, it was really an awesome time, and I hope you guys really enjoy this. Without further ado, we have Crystal. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Good. How are you? Just living the quarantine life. That's right. That's right. Interesting times we're living in, huh? Yeah. Our My daughter's hamster got lost this morning, so that was the most excitement probably of the whole day. Did you find the hamster? <laughs> yes. It was behind the dryer. Okay. Alive, thank God. That's good. That's good. <laughs> my uh, When I was married before, my family and I went on a vacation, and my daughter had a hamster in a cage. When we left, it was in the cage. Mm -hmm. When we came back, the hamster was not in the cage anymore. We never found that hamster. Oh, you never found it? We never found this hamster. I have no idea what happened. We didn't have like a cat or anything. So I don't know. Someday they're going to find it like in a wall or something. Yeah. So, so, uh, you work in a movie theater, right? How do we, how, how do we know each other? How did we eventually meet? I think it was at a convention. That seems right. Vegas. Yeah, I think, sure, probably in a bar setting. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Hammered. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> a couple Long Islands in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because um, I know we didn't, for a while, we didn't really kind of run in the same circles. And I think we just sort of eventually became friends. So. Um, yeah, I was, my first couple of years as a GM, I I was pretty quiet and I kind of kept to myself and I think a lot of that was age related too because I was a lot younger and I didn't have as many things to talk about I guess and so as the years went on then I kind of started to come out of my shell a little bit. Fair enough. Yeah. How long have you been working in movie theaters? Like what year did you start? Uh, April 12th so next month will be my 13th year with the same company. 
I'm very loyal. That's, that's something that I think is important is loyalty. So Mm -hmm. I've been with the same company for 13 years. I got hired when um, I was a senior in high school. So um, it just always worked with my schedule um, between classes and softball. And I had a nannying gig that I was doing too. Um, Each week, you know, I was able to say, okay, next week, instead of working Thursday, I'd like to work a double on Friday. And they're always very accommodating. So I always appreciated that. Yeah. Where'd you get your start? Uh, In Rochester, New York. Um, There was a theater about five minutes from the high school. So it was really super convenient. I get out of softball practice and then just head over to the theater and be there by four and work a box office shift till 9 p.m. and go home and do my homework and then repeat all over, over again, again the next yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the theaters I worked at was literally right next to the high school that I went to. And I grew up in Kansas. And uh, I remember it was a big deal when they were building that movie theater. Like this, like all the, the people in the community were really upset about it because they were like, well, it's just going to give kids a reason to skip and go do something. And it's like, I don't... <laughs> It doesn't seem like very solid logic on that. I mean, if kids are going to skip to go watch a movie, I don't think they care if they have to drive five minutes or walk across the parking lot. It just it was kind of stupid. But, but yeah, that was a small, like, Midwestern-owned company called Dickinson. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of the more fun theaters I ever worked at. Lots of shenanigans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you started when you were a senior. And how long did you work at that theater? Um, well, I kind of worked my way up. I learned all the departments and applied for assistant manager, which I did not get my first round. And um, my GM at the time just told me, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You need to learn a little bit more about, um, at the time there was this, the studio eats area with like the sandwiches and the salads and all that. So I said, okay, well, I just need to learn more. I'm just not ready. And then I think I got assistant manager in 2009. So about two years of being floor staff. And then um, there was a dollar theater that was um, in another town. It was about a 15 minute drive. And um, the GM position came open. Um, This is what, 2000. 11? Yeah, 2011. Um, nope, I take that back. 2013. I was an AM for a while. And um, then at the time I was a SAM. So the region leader of the area had approached me and said, hey, are you ready to start your GM career? And I had a two-year-old and I knew like becoming a GM typically meant moving out of state. I mean, that's just really what it happens and since this theater was only down the road I said well yeah like I can still have my family to help me and I'm ready to take this step so I then went and ran um, a dollar theater which reverted me back to film because they were still film and my office had was right in the projection booth and I listened to film all day long and um, exactly when there was a problem I bet yeah yeah um So that was a fun experience, the dollar house. And then I was only there for about 18 months when Erie, Pennsylvania came open and I kind of decided this is for sure a career thing I want to do. And now that my daughter's a little bit older, I'm going to take the step and we moved and 
it was scary at first, but I loved meeting, oh my gosh, each time like a new theater team and new stories and new things to learn about how, what works best for them because they always had their own procedures in place. And that was one thing that I said, I'm not, I'm not going to change things at work, even though at this location, it's not what I did at my previous location. So that's tough to do sometimes because you have this inherent, like, Mm-hmm. desire to be like well I know what works you know but yeah if you start just willy-nilly changing something in a location that you yeah. you take over it can really rub people the wrong way so yep yeah. so then I was in Erie for about one year and then Oklahoma City came open and I had applied for a couple others that I got turned down for and I'm okay with rejection it's something that my parents taught me early on is not you know when you get rejected you just fight harder mm-hmm. so I had a couple um no's that I'm looking back at him like oh I don't think I was supposed to live in Florida yeah. or yeah. I wasn't supposed to run this theater so um, I've been in Oklahoma City now for it'll be four years in May and it's by mm-hmm. far been my favorite I sorry for my Rochester and Erie peeps but um, Oklahomans are so nice yeah Midwest, so nice. Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different clientele. It's, it's so different. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'll ever leave to be honest at this yeah. point. I love it. That's how it's much I like it. Theater. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, one of my best friends ran that theater, you know, and he used to speak very highly of it and it's got its challenges for sure. I mean, it's obviously a monster location very large physically, but then there's just other challenges that come along along with it. But I, I think each theater has its own unique, challenges Mm -hmm. Um, I mean everywhere I've been all over the country it's even in this state that I'm in I mean Fort Collins can be dramatically different than Greeley they can be dramatically different than Boulder Mm -hmm. than Colorado Springs like I mean each town has its uniqueness you know yeah but you know what I learned though the people are still the same like you still have your one type of manager that is good at this and one manager that has the quirkiness, you know, it's like different locations, but the people are still the same. And the, even the customer situations still really are, you know, the same thing. Yeah. There's like, well, there's all these stories about things that have happened in Oklahoma city. I'm like, that stuff happened in New York too. Like it's just the, the, the industry we're in. I do think, so to speak to the employees being the same, like there's always like that one type of employee. There's probably like five different archetypes, so to speak, of like you could go to any theater anywhere in the country and it's like, okay, there's that one, there's that one, there's that one. You know, there's like the mom of the theater. There's like the really, really quirky employee. You know, there's just there's probably five or six different ones. Yeah. Um, I will say like with the biggest difference I'll see from theater to theater can be in terms of customer concerns. Um, you know, I mean, this whole podcast started from that kind of um, place of dealing with, you know, the Karens of the world or whatever. Um, and so there's just certain areas I've noticed where customer concerns can be a lot more intense in, in, in some areas and more frequent versus other areas where people are just way more easygoing. And usually, I found the pattern is uh, tied directly to socioeconomics. Um, and so, like in your, yeah. like your uber wealthy, will typically be much more vocal um, and quick to 
uh, have concerns when things aren't going the way they feel they should be going. And then sometimes on the, on the other end, it's, it's the ends of the spectrums. Um, so on the very far end, like you're more value conscious, people can also be very quick to complain. Um, so there's that little middle segment where people are just very easygoing and sure there'll be concerns from time to time, but they won't be as heated. They won't be as frequent. That's kind of what I've noticed at least in my Yeah, travel. I mean, I, I would agree for sure. There's, um, there's definitely the wealthier that, you know, they, f they pay any dime that they give, they're expecting that service 100%. And, um, and then on the, the opposite spectrum that that dime matters just as much to that person too. So, yeah, but I've, this location that I'm at is a, a value theater. So our tickets are, are pretty cheap um, mm -hmm. compared to the competitors in the area. And um, you would think that that only brings in the lower class status, but it actually, we bring in all different types of people and that's what I love about it. So. I mean, you're, it's a busy location, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, just up until last year, the alcohol laws changed here. So some competitors, um, <coughs> excuse me, Sorry. some competitors moved in. So in the past year, things have kind of settled down a little bit, but yeah, we, we were doing over a million people a year when I took over. So Black Panther, actually, that opening Saturday, uh, we did 11,873 people. Yeah, I love yeah. how you know the exact number. Yep. It, yeah. uh, I got to work, I think, at noon that day, and I didn't leave till three in the morning. And I remember looking at the clock. I got to my office around like midnight to start to try to wrap my head around what just happened. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness, this yeah. where, like, what just happened? And it was just all day long, lines after lines. And we didn't have reserved seating mm -hmm. at that point. So it was pretty much like Disney World. You, you <laughs> Just hold out lines every line to the next line to yeah. the next line till the actual show would begin. But then you still had 20 minutes of preview. It was, yeah, it was fun though. <laughs> yeah. I worked at a theater uh, just like yours, um, but down in El Paso long, long time ago for uh, Robert and when he was a GM and uh, Titanic came out that year that I was there. We had just opened and we kind of would bounce back and forth between being either the, the first, second, or third busiest theater in the company. And I remember one of the days during, it was the holidays, and one of the days during that period, we did, I don't remember the exact number, but it was right around 19,000 people. And it was fucking insane, like just craziness. And I remember, you know, these theaters have these massive lobbies and massive long hallways and wide hallways and stuff. And yeah, again, pre-reserved seating. And we would, we would have um, a greeter in the front middle of the lobby and then a podium on each side, okay? And then we would have a crowd control on each side of the lobby and then a crowd control in each hallway as well. And they would all work 10-hour shifts and all they did was just control these crazy-ass lines and they would just rotate. And so, like, they go from... Lobby crowd control, the podium over to lobby crowd control, the podium to hallway crowd control, and they just rotate around the building clockwise all day. I mean, it was just insane, man. And we would talk to people, and it's like, you know, how long have you guys been here? Oh, we've been here for like five hours waiting. It's like, oh, how many times have you seen the movie? And this is my seventh time. Titanic's like a, I don't know, three hour movie or something like that. It's like, how do you have this kind of time to yeah. see a movie that often? But it was a lot of fun. I was just talking to uh, Jeff yesterday on a, 
an episode and uh, we were talking about just the how fun that type of insanity was, you know, with just controlling all the lines and all the people and the energy that comes with it. I think the business levels nowadays, like we can still get busy, but it's a, it's a different kind of energy with reserve seating because you don't have those holdout lines. So everybody just comes in, goes to concession, hopefully, and then goes to the movie. And mm-hmm. it's just, you just kind of rotate people in that way. So that's just a different, a different energy, it seems. Yeah, I mean, operations just continue to change, but that was definitely one of my favorite things was working the lines. Uh, I mean, I had a, a loud enough mouth for it. So <laughs> here's, even though I'm short yeah. <laughs> and small, but, you know, I'd go into a crowd of people and get them going and get them mm-hmm. to do chants. And, yeah. um, and, and those types of customers wanted to be there you Mm -hmm. know they were happy and you know it was just a different atmosphere and the midnights when midnights were a thing that was when you really had the lines of people that would be there for hours and um but if something went wrong on those midnight premieres then you betcha that yeah (laughs) and that was something else jeff and i were talking about is the prep was different back then um it took it just took a lot more upfront prep to make sure that you really had control of your building. You know, now again, nowadays, like it's still important to prep, obviously. You want a good show schedule, you need a good employee schedule, you need to make sure you order everything correctly and stuff like that. But the the sort of organizational prep of where you're gonna put all these people and and making sure that you have the right ushers, like that's the most like nowadays it's not as important to have sharp people as an usher, you know, but back then it was like, it's very important to have the right people doing crowd control and seating your auditoriums and people on podium because they needed to be able to control what's going on. And I used to have colleagues that would, they would just put anybody on podium, you know, especially the people they thought weren't the greatest usher, they would, they would put them on podium. And I was like, I think that's the wrong thing to do. Your podium is your central hub. They're the ones that are controlling what theater gets cleaned next, who's getting let in, all that kind of stuff. I just felt like that, and they need to be friendly all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You ever seen the movie Reality Bites? No. Uh, there's this funny scene in there with uh, David Spade, and he's working in this little drive-through restaurant or whatever, and it's it's sort of a parody on working at a at a restaurant. But he's like, you got to be here, and you got to be here, and you got to do this and do this, and he's kind of making fun of it all. But that's how Podium was. Is like you really do need to be in control of everything. So. Yeah. Um, fun fact about me is I've worked in the movie theater industry for 13 years, but I haven't seen most movies. So such a shame. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's not because I don't like movies. I'm just like always on the go. So to get me to sit down at a theater for two hours, I'm more like, okay, there's a light out up there. <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's popcorn on the floor over there. Like even my husband, he won't go watch movies with me at the theater because I'm just in work mode. Like I want everybody else around me to have the the best experience. So I can't just sit back and relax, but at at home and then I have a kid. So at home we're watching most like Disney movies. So I've seen every Disney like animated movie, but I haven't seen like more adult featured films, should I say. Yeah. I, I can't go see a movie at my theater. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and thankfully, I mean, anymore, the last time I lived even remotely close to one of my theaters has been a hot minute. I mean, I typically live like an hour away. Um, so I usually visit 
whatever's closest, you know? And then when I was a lot younger, I used to be very critical of other people's operations. And then I finally pulled my head out of my ass and realized we all have our own issues that we have to deal with. And you could walk into anybody's theater and pick it apart if you wanted to, you know? And so it's like, look, they're working on it. They're dealing with their own shit. They certainly don't want me saying something to them about it, you know? So, although I've asked friends of mine, if they come see a movie at my theater, I'll be like, do you have any feedback? Because they have a different perspective. But not everybody wants that. Yeah, um, I feel like sometimes they're afraid to kind of tell you, like, they don't, just don't let you know, Mm -hmm. like, hey, the, you know, the bathrooms were dirty, or, Mm -hmm. you know, this happened, but at least with friends, they do tell you the positive experiences, they'll be, like, quick to say, hey, you know, (laughs) this stood out to me, and I'm like, well, thank you so much, that just made my whole day. (laughs) Right, right. God help uh, Lindsay down, you know, where our home office is, uh, because every admin, and, you know, marketing person or who some other any random person walking into that theater it's out of toilet paper it's out of the it's like i know <laughs> i'm working on it <laughs> i i personally was just in that bathroom 20 <laughs> minutes ago before number 11 let out right. and i'm sorry like 300 <laughs> people just trampled through it and yeah. we'll get to it <laughs> yeah we will get to it you know speaking of you were talking about rejection earlier how you've applied at theaters i you know i remember when i was trying to get my career started um that was you know with the company we're with now that was uh 97 is when i started applying for theaters that was a sam and i remember getting three letters this is back when they used to send you letters i got three letters on the same day from three different rls rejecting me for three different theaters in each letter Wow. Yeah, so I got rejected for nine theaters on the same day from three different people. How crazy is that? So, so did they, like, give reasoning in them, or it was just, you're not the candidate? It was just, it? you know, you're not the candidate right now, but please, we, we encourage you to please apply again, and lots of good, lots of good talent out there. But, you know, it didn't take very long. There was, you know, we were building so fast back then, and, and there was just always opportunity. And, and kind of like you, what you alluded to a little bit ago was, you know, those theaters weren't the ones for me. I mean, Cleburne, Texas, I didn't want to go to Cleburne, you know, no offense to Cleburne. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I got lucky enough that I, my very first theater as a GM happened to be the very first theater I worked at with the, the same company where, that I started as an employee. And so just really, so I got, to, I got to go back home for a little bit and I had already moved around a few times as an assistant. So the theater I started at, like my manager came up to me, my GM came up to me one day while I was threading a projector and asked, do you want to be a manager? And I was like, sure. I mean, I was just trying to finish school or whatever. And uh, so I became a manager. And then a few months later, he got promoted to go to Baton Rouge and open the original theater that we had in Baton Rouge. So he called me up one day. He's like, do you want to do, you want to come down here and help? And that was the moment I'm, you know, I made the decision to make it my career because I had no idea up to that point what I wanted to do. I was just flailing about, and then I went there and then went to El Paso and then I got to go back home for six months to the day is how long I was at that theater. Wow. Um, so it was really, really lucky. But I did learn an important lesson as well is that it's, you gotta be really, really careful how you treat people. Um, because there was a couple of assistant managers that were working there that were, that I worked for as an employee originally that I came back to be their boss, to be their G- GM. And there was one of them that was not very nice to me when I was an employee. Now, I tried to be a good person. I was nice anyway, you know, but there was some coaching that happened. I'm like, hmm, this is maybe how you want to treat your employees. 
because this is what I remembered as an employee. Yeah. So it was an interesting experience to be able to go back and do that. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, my biggest challenge has always been managing people that are older than me. Mm -hmm. um, my theater manager right now, she'll kill me for saying her actual age, but I mean, oh, she's, I she's 30 years older than me, but she's my right-hand woman. Yeah. Like the two of us can tag team and, you know, I learn from her and she learns from me and I've always, you know, given a certain level of respect to everybody. It doesn't matter what age you mm -hmm. are. We all have the same job to get done. And I don't know about team. you, but I, yeah, like I like to feel good when I'm, I'm done for the day and go home and say, man, we, we really accomplished a lot today. So, I mean, even with the theater closures right now, I vowed on Monday going into this empty theater that the only thing I can do for my assistant managers at this point is to continue to bust my tail feather to have things ready to go so that when they come back, operations are even better than when they left. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I gotta tell you, like, I've been stuck at home. I haven't been able to go back to my building. I've been stuck <laughs> at home and, uh, it kills me because all I wanted to do, like, I mean, as I've been saying to other people, I I've spent an, uh, all of four days at that building before all this shit happened. So I don't even know my team. I mean, I, I've met maybe 70% of my managers. I've met a handful of my employees and loyalty, like you were saying, is very important to me as well. So my previous location is extremely loyal to me and I was still trying to you know handle a lot of stuff at that theater while I'm trying to handle stuff at this new theater and all I want to do is go into this new theater and make a positive impact and I haven't even been, <laughs> not only do I not even know my team but I haven't even been able to, to do that and so I've had a you know luckily I still have a theater manager that I can rely on who used to work at your theater actually um, and Chelsea oh, okay okay yes yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's how I, I kind of know about your theater managers through her as well as my best friend, David. Um, so I know, I know uh, she's, she's definitely assertive and definitely um, takes a lot of pride in her job and, and the theater and stuff. So, uh, which I think is awesome. I think you're lucky to have someone like that. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm lucky to have my theater manager too. You know, she's done a great, she was an interim GM for like the last seven months and did a fantastic job. So but yeah, anyway, um, well, I, I was, I got off track there. Oh yeah. The rejection stuff. I mean, that's just coming up, you know, in the company and just trying to, you just need to get your foot in the door sometimes. Like my wife, you know, she used to work for the company and I think she applied for 23, 20, somewhere in there, different locations, uh, to be a GM. And it's just so competitive, you know, especially nowadays when we're not building as many as we were back in the nineties. You know, there's so many Sams out there that are just trying to move up. So that's how she ended up in auditing was it's like, well, I'm done trying to apply to be a GM, but I still want to work with this company, but I need to move up somehow. So she thought auditing would be a good shift. You know, it's like, okay, I'll get experience over there, you know, and then I'll slide into a GM role at some point. So, Yeah, I'd, I'd say that who you know is very important in that's even with like customers that's what I tell my management team I'm like you never know who that person is walking in the door mm -hmm. I mean they could be a lawyer a doctor a famous person that you just don't happen to maybe be on that same channel like right. it's really important because opportunities can present themselves to you if you actually present yourself to them mm -hmm. and so 
you know, even within the company, you know, how many people can you help or just let them know like, Hey, this is my name. This is what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where I'm at. Let me know how, what I can do for you. Um, that's really important is, is getting your name out there. And even like I I'm in school right now, flat, you know, I look back 10 years ago, I'm an assistant in New York going to school. And now here I am in Oklahoma still going to school. But even, you know, with my classes, it shocked me how quiet all the kids are. They don't, they don't talk. They don't, no one wants to raise their hand. No one wants to go up in front of the class. And I'm like, me, 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 like get me up in front of the classroom. I didn't, and all like people would say, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? And I'm like, for what? Like, if I embarrass myself, then they'll just remember me as the person that did that, but they're at least remembering me. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think a lot of us get to the position we're in with in this industry without being like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be confident and assertive and, and get, and yeah, just put yourself out there. I mean, shit, I could sit here and be insecure all day about doing this podcast. I mean, there are times when I'm sitting, I'm laying in bed and I think back on it, I'm like, you know, because it's like, I'm just putting myself out there, you know, people are going to listen to me and they're either going to like it or they're not going to like it. I can't fucking stand the sound of my own voice. So I don't go back and listen to these, you know, so I, you know, and my memory is for shit. So for all I know, I've seen some really, really stupid things, but it's whatever, you know, it's fun to do. And if it can make a positive impact, so be it. But I do agree. I think it's sometimes it's the people, you know, that can get you into the right position and not just from a political standpoint, but just making a good impression and showing people that you have the passion and the skill set to be able to do this. But on the flip side of that, I try to do the same for the people that I work with, you know, the, that like my assistants, you know, like I take a lot of pride and, and put a lot of effort into the development of the people that work with me because I needed that. And, and, you know, Robert did that for me. And so I'm trying to do it for as many people as I could possibly do it. Even the ones that say, well, I don't want to make this a career because how many people do you know in this company that probably said at one point, I have no intention of ever making this my career. I mean, we have vice presidents that work for this company that, that didn't start out with any intention of, you know, one was a school teacher for crying out loud, you know? And so I just think it's important to, to do the same for others and get their, and, and get their name out there anytime you know, somebody visits my location, I try to introduce them to as many people as possible to say, and then tell them all the good stuff I can mm-hmm. about that person. You know what I mean? So. Yep. That's what, uh, my first GM was really big on that. Anytime uh, an RL would come in the door, um, Hey, this is, you know, meet my Sam, meet my AM. This is what they're doing. And, I mean, really, at the end of the day, our success is just based off of what the assistant managers do. For real, yeah. And I'm learning that this past week. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I I mean, this might sound terrible, but I haven't had to compact the compactor in several months. Mm-hmm. Like, I can make piles of trash, but, <laughs> but you know, an usher would take out the trash, yeah. so I, I didn't have to do it. And so I'm learning all these things, and I'm like... How much did I really rely on my team? Oh, so much. Unbelievable. And you kind of take that for granted as it goes. Is like, you know, things are in motion. Things are running. Everything's well oiled. So you don't, you know, you don't really realize without that one person, just one person, Mm -hmm. my life is 
not the same. Yeah. 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 Do I totally relate? And I don't think it sounds bad at all because look, in, in our role, especially in a building, like in, in a bigger building or a complicated building, we have a big team. Look, you know, it's tough to be in the trenches all the time doing every single thing. That's why you have a team, you know, but I totally relate. First of all, I have a shit memory, you know, so if I'm not doing something frequently, then I don't, I'm not going to remember how for a little while. I mean, I could, if you put me in the situation where I have to do it, I'll figure it out. You know, that's how I got to where I'm at, you know, but like, you know, our, our senior vice president sent out an email, I think it was yesterday with projection shutdown stuff. And I don't do you, you know, that email that I'm talking about, yep. but you know, look, I have to give him a lot of credit and respect for recognizing the fact that a lot of GMs out there haven't messed with projectors on a regular basis. And he was very understanding about that. And was like, I get it. You've had TTAs that have been handling this, but that's how I am. Like, look, man, I got a TTA. Do you know the last time I had to build a playlist? I mean, I can test on it. I know if someone knows it or not, I can fumble my way through it, but I haven't, I haven't done inventory in a while. And there's just things that I don't do because I'm, I'm the leader. Like I'm ensuring that everybody is on top of what they're supposed to be doing. I know if it's being done correctly, you know, all that, but like, dude, when we had to do all these shutdown procedures and we had to do a final inventory, I was like, I, okay, I guess I'm, I guess I'm doing this, you know, and yeah, I'm, I'm still doing concession shutdown procedures. I mean, I have three concession stands, a full-blown Pizza Hut kitchen, a full-blown bar now, and I'm one person, like mm-hmm. one person, and I'm like, I, I, in eight hours is flying by, and, and then there's a bat in the theater right now, mm-hmm. So like that's consuming some of my time because if it flew by, then, you know, it's like, okay, where'd the bat go? And you yeah. just name him and become friends. And then you guys will hang out together all the time. <laughs> so. Well, uh, there's no food source at this point. So yeah, hopefully he just settles down somewhere because he's giving me a little bit of a heart attack. Cause then I'm like, oh, <laughs> someone at the door. <laughs> well, I've been, you know, I've been doing my best to just stay on top of all the email and communicate with my theater manager on what she's doing. And I, there's, there's a certain part of me that feels guilty because she's really having to take on a lot of this stuff that's needing to happen, you know? Um, but you know, she's being productive. I mean, that's, that's a positive thing and she has something that she could be doing and she gets to keep her job and all that. So I think that's all very positive. Um, and then we'll be, we'll be ready for when the movies are back. And uh that's what I told my management team. I said, listen, I said, at the end of all this, I said, when we reopen our doors, and even to my fellow theaters in Tulsa that are with the same company, I will say right now, I'm going to assure that we are the best damn movie theater in the entire state. Like, there is, this has just put a vengeance in me. It's made me yeah. angry. Like, yeah. you, customers is is what we live for, you know, people coming through the doors, and to not see that or have that is made me really angry like I'm gonna fight back at this one guys so sorry coronavirus you didn't win well you know it's funny because uh you know this whole podcast is called Karen isn't always right and and I have never wanted to be yelled at that customer so badly as right now you know and I joke about it but at the end of the day I mean the only reason we exist is because of customers you know that's why we're here and and I just yeah it's just it's a little saddening for me, you know, to see the empty, like, you know, I saw my picture, my theater made it on a cinema tour yesterday, a guy 
posted a picture of it and I saw my empty parking lot. And I was like, Jesus, man. But I was, t- I was talking to Jeff and I was talking to my friend Dave earlier that I, uh, you know, people have been saying for years now, oh, movie theaters are on the decline and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think when this is over, I think during this whole time, people have really realized how much they actually do like movie theaters and how much they actually really do want to go see movies in a theater and not just sitting on their couch at home. Because as soon as our doors open, I think people are going to flock, you know? Well, for sure. And, you know, a lot of our moviegoers, they're coming to the theater to get away. You Mm -hmm. know, they have lots of issues in their personal life. I mean, we don't know where they're coming from. And so... I can guarantee right now the amount of depression that has skyrocketed because yeah, you can watch Netflix and sit home on your couch and do whatever, but it's not the same. Maybe you're surrounded by people in your household that are not good for your mental health, you know, and getting out and going to the actual theater for that two hours was your escape. And sometimes, yeah, they take it out on us at the theater because they're the next person they come in contact with. But I mean, I had one lady that she was so nasty one day and I just kept thinking to myself, something's got to be wrong. Something's got to be wrong. So I called her on the phone because she ended up writing in and, and complaining even more because complaining in person wasn't even enough. And <laughs> I got her on the phone. I said, ma'am, I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I said, just talk to me. Like, what is going on in your life? Right. So well, my, my ex-husband just killed himself two days ago. I said, okay, like you have a right to be angry and like, I, I'm, let's talk about it. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it was all over, but like the butter on her popcorn. Yeah. yeah. And I was just blown away. I just sat there and I'm like, okay, like you be mad. You can be mad. Yeah. You have a right to be mad. I talk to employees about that all the time when I'm doing our, our orientation, you know, and I, I say, look, you just, you need to understand there's a perspective that you don't have you know, and there's, I think our company and and there's another company that have done a good job with, um, uh, there's a video, there's videos that have been created about this where like, it'll show, um, from a guest perspective, the, the moments or even days leading up to their visit, what was going on in their world that, that contributes to why they're acting the way that they are. And I think just, just like that situation, it's just, you just don't know what anybody might be dealing with. You know, it could be a death, it could be a loss of job, it's whatever. And then not having butter is the catalyst that, you know, or the straw that creates this contact us situation or whatever. And, you know, that's this whole, the win the customer, not the argument thing, you know, it can sound a little flippant, to be honest, you know, or uh, because it's like, okay, well, that's easier said than done. But it's so true because it's like, look, it doesn't matter if you as the manager think you're right, it just doesn't. From the customer's perspective, they're right. You know, you've heard, we all, we've all heard the customer is always right. But we all know, especially as general managers, we all know the customer isn't always right, but it doesn't fucking matter. It just doesn't. You know, it's our job to figure out a way to just make the pro, you know, the, just resolve the issue and make the customer happy, you know? So if the customer has to continue feeling like they're right, then so be it. I've had so many assistant managers that I've had to, to coach on like stop worrying so much about them being wrong stop worrying so much about well you're compensating them for something that they don't deserve who cares you know what i mean like does it really matter to you that you're giving away a ten dollar pass 
you know, for something that you feel like you were right about, who gives a shit? So what if Fandango screwed up? Or so what if they bought the wrong movie or whatever? It's like, just, just let them be right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You nailed it on the head there. I mean, it's, it's just not worth it sometimes. And at least we work for a company that understands that. And that's why they give us that freedom. So it's like, if they just want to pass and then they say, well, no, I want two passes, give them the two passes. Like, why are we going to argue it? Because they're going to just come back and they're going to spend money in the concession stand and they're going to probably be a lot happier the next visit. Yeah. Yeah. And, And you know, that's the other thing too. Like how many times have you seen a complaint come through where that manager had the ability, I mean, we sound like RVPs where I'm sure they see things come through from, you know, the GMs could have resolved, but like you see something where the the assistant manager clearly had an opportunity to just take care of it, but -hmm. instead they decided to push back on it. It's like, why did you, why did you escalate this? There was no reason that this needed to escalate. Well, I didn't want to give them, I didn't want to give them passes. Well, now I have to, now I'm gonna, you know, well, that's undermining me. Well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like you, you had your opportunity to do your job. And I tell people all the time, employees too, because we all have the power, right? I tell people all the time, look, I will never get mad at you if you overcompensate a guest because you were trying to just make them happy and take care of the problem. But I will get mad at you if you had the opportunity and you, and you didn't even try. Mm-hmm. You know? So... Because how would you feel? Like I always, I, I talk a lot about empathy to my employees. It's like, you need to put yourself in their shoes, you know, like just, just understand where they're coming from. Understand why they're, it's not, it's not about the issue. Half the time, it's not about the issue. It's about the irritation that comes along with it or whatever might, else might be going on in their world. Right. So. Absolutely. Um, it really, it's just, it's not worth it. But I think for a lot of assistant managers, it's a pride thing. Yeah. You know, they're, they feel like they're losing their title as, as a manager, which means they have the golden name tag and they, what they say goes. And then it's just like, it's not how you, you lead your team. I mean, you're a leader to the staff. I'm a leader to you. We all have a job to get done. So why are we intentionally pissing off people? (laughs) Like it just, that just sets me back because now and I'm the type of person that talks on the phone to the customer for an hour and a half and ends up having lunch with them the next day. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I have one, I actually have a family from here in Oklahoma City that <clears throat> Craig wrote in and there, he said there was an issue with our sound in Auditorium 8. And I remember thinking in my head like, well, there was over 600 people that day that watched a movie in there and not one other person said anything about the sound. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, half of our speakers weren't working in there. Oh, shit. So the other 599 people just were- Didn't say anything. Didn't say anything. Yeah. And so I'm talking to him on the phone and this is two years ago. I have now been over his house for Christmas dinner. <laughs> nice. His, him and his wife treat my daughter like family they're always thinking of her like because they I mean I got to know them they got to know me they know I don't have family here and now there's you know people I consider very important in my personal life and I mean but that's how like with the theater industry most people in my life are because of the theater yeah. yeah you know like you were saying your best friends it's 
my best friends, they're now married. He was the usher manager. She was the usher. I was the box cashier. They're married. They're still in my life. And um, even my husband, I met my husband because of them, which if I didn't work at the theater, I never would have met. And um, I mean, tons of people along, along the way from politicians to even fa- I mean famous meeting people. famous people yeah. is always really fun too and yeah. I've lost so. track of how many famous people I've met because of working in this job it's crazy yeah and, we were supposed to have a big Harry Potter fan event on March 18th at my location with a couple of the actors Crab and Goyle were coming so <clears throat> I was a little bummed out because it got canceled but they're supposedly going to reschedule so I had one in Boulder for something like that uh, there with Caravan and um, one of the actors. Oh, what was that kid's name? Seamus. Oh. Yeah. Seamus was at my theater. So we, we, was, we sat around in my office, me, him, and his mom and aunt just sat around the office bullshitting for a while. That kid smokes like a chimney too, by the way. But uh, it was a lot of fun, you know? So, yeah. but yeah, so many people have, I mean, shit, I've, met two wives through this company, you know, and uh, at my, my, re- my wedding, my, my best friend, uh, David Nightingale, he was like, he was talking about like how many people we've all seen get married as a result of us hiring them. He's like, Is it, if anybody's looking to get married, come work for me. We can make it happen, you know? <laughs> so. It's a good, a good marketing tool when we need to rehire <laughs> for all this coming up soon. Like, hey, you can your lifelong partner at the theater <laughs> yeah you know i think that's the 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 con the pattern that i'm seeing as i've been talking to people on these podcasts is uh is really it's the people you know that's what it comes down to of why we've stayed in this for so long and why we we love this as much as we do is it really just does come down to the people and i mean look i've worked at some challenging theaters in my career and there's been there's been times when I'm like I just want to be like fuck this I'm out you know I'm tired of this shit, and then I stick it out you know because I love the job and and there's been people that I I'll get I get insecure sometimes and I'll think oh Jesus you know this these people on my team hate my guts they don't respect me whatever and I get in my head about it and then come to find out you know and I usually find this out when I'm leaving that they had an immense amount of respect for me and they, they loved me, you know, and I just didn't know it because how often does, do people tell their boss, you know, on a regular basis, how much, you know, they really respect or care about them. You know, it's important for us to tell, go down with that and tell our people that we mm-hmm. care about them. It doesn't go up as often as maybe we would like. Um, but then, you know, I come to find, you know, like when I left the, the theater that I just left recently, like I got a bunch of notes and cards and things like that. And it's like, Oh my God, now I don't, I don't want to leave, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So, and that's what keeps me going sometimes is the impact that I've been able to have on people, positive impact, uh, whether it's, it's becoming friends with them over time or uh, leading them, especially younger ones, you know, like the employee level. Um, I was just talking to, on the last episode I did about an hour ago, we were talking about, you know, it kind of takes a village, you know, it's teachers, parents, and us, you know, and, I've seen, I see managers, either assistant managers or even other GMs sometimes, you know, they'll bitch and moan about their employees sometimes. Ah, they're stupid or, you know, fucking Gen Gen X or not Gen X, uh, millennials. You know, they complain about the millennials all the time or Gen Z and it's like, stop complaining. Like, this is their first job for a lot of them. Like, your job is to, to develop them. Your job is to lead them. 
you know, they don't know any better half the time, you know, so you, you, it's your fault. If, if they suck, make yeah. them better. Like if I had to tell managers that the man, a manager will come in the office and they start going off about some employee. And I'm like, why are you, why are you going off about them? Like, it's your job to fix that. They don't know any better. Fix them. Yeah. You, you got to work with them and show them the right way. And instead of just turn a blind eye and keep dealing with it till they get fired, it's kind of like, no, let's, let's counsel it now. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's see why they're doing this. And I mean, there's usually an underlying issue as to whether maybe they weren't trained properly. That's a big one. It's like, you know, this person sucks at closing. Well, no one ever showed them how to properly close. You Mm -hmm. guys just gave them a checklist, which that, that was a big thing at my location was checklist when I took over and wonder why I'm like, we can't, we can't live off of these checklists. Like they're a tool. They're a tool. Yeah. They're a tool, but I mean, we need to like personally show them how to do it first because it is, it is their first job. I mean, what, for me, it wasn't my first job. I um, had the luxury of working for a Halloween store, a seasonal Halloween store when I turned 16 and I stood on the main road in costumes with oh, a sign nice. twirling the and sign. Mm-hmm. and I'd always pick like the big blow up ones that would have the fan inside because it was hot <laughs> as hell out and I didn't want people to you know recognize me which sure. who the heck was really gonna recognize me but yeah. my parents they told me you know as soon as I turned 16 that you need to get a job I mean I've, my dad still works two three jobs he's always worked and so when I got the job at the theater, I didn't, I didn't have any experience. I knew what I grew up with and what I watched my parents do, but I mean, I, I needed that guidance. And so luckily I had a general manager and a whole management team that trained and showed and, and was down in the forefront. I mean, I don't, I remember Friday, Saturday nights, my GM cleaning all the windows on the glass in the front foyer of the box office. And then he's running the vacuum. And in between that, he's greeting each guest and he's talking to each employee. And it was like, he was Superman. Right. And I'm like, I need, I, how do I do that? And over the years, you know, he just kind of taught me that, you know, personal interaction is really important. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I still, Jeff and I were talking yesterday about our first day. And we had very similar experiences where basically, I mean, this is a long time. It was like 89. I think I was 89. He was like 91. That's when I was born. (laughs) So we got, (laughs) we got like thrown in these, in a closet basically and watch these VHS tapes for like an hour or two. And then you go on a register and that was our training, you know? And then this last, but this last theater I worked at, like, you know, I had a great, great team. I mean, it's still a great team there. And um, we developed a very, very comprehensive training program. I mean, like, I think I broke down the amount of hours it takes to become a concessionist, a fully trained concessionist at that theater, I think is like in the neighborhood of 47 hours total. You know, that's with shadowing and tests and all of the different stuff that goes into it. Just, there's a lot of moving parts at that, that theater. Um, and that's like super high quality training and it shows. Now, I had the luxury of, of really being able to get a lot of payroll uh, in my budget at that location. Not everybody has that ability. So sometimes it sucks because it's like, well, I have to meet these goals, you know, so this is what we're able to do, you know. Um, 
but it can show. And I do think, you know, it comes down to high quality training, but like I had, um, you know, before all of this happened, obviously we, we were feeling that payroll crunch because 20 is supposed to be a down year or whatever. One of the things I was having my management team do is, you know, we have a game plan every day and they have to, on the game plan, they show how many hours they had to cut or add or whatever. And then on the back of it, they put notes about each department and, you know, what worked as far as scheduling, what wasn't working, what challenges they came across or whatever. So I can use that to help with the f next year's budget or whatever. And I remember one night uh, or one morning I came in, I looked at the previous nights and, and the manager was like, well, you know, it just, we needed at least one or two more concessions because the three I had just weren't trained very well and it took forever. And my, my whole thought was like, well, first of all, I'm not going to adjust a budget because of that. You know, your job as an assistant manager is to train them. If you recognize and identify that these people aren't trained very well and that's what's slowing things down, then guess what? train them <laughs> like you know what I mean so and I mean you've obviously identified that these three need some some help or whatever so let's just work on that that's not a good enough reason to adjust a budget you know going forward so yeah um, I would agree you, you're gonna have to share your little budgeting tools with me when this is all said and done yeah I can do that I mean, it's, I think it's helpful just because any, any notes that you can have when you sit down to do the yearly budget going forward, it's like, cause you know, I mean, again, I have a terrible memory. And so, you know how it is when you're trying to adjust your forecast and tweak it and stuff like that. It's like, well, I mean, I think this was working. I can't remember, you know, but if I can, if I have 365 days to go back and look at and relate it to, okay, this is what the attendance is supposed to be. This is what it actually was. And my whole team was freaking the fuck out about their payroll budget for the day. Clearly I need to address that, you know? So I find it, I mean, I think it'll be helpful. I just started doing it before this, you know, meltdown that we're having right now. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do agree. Like I, I listened to the one podcast with uh, Claney and mm. I do feel like the work ethic is, not what it used to be so even if we do invest in more training there's still just the Apathy. lack of lack of urgency that's what it, it's like yeah. lack of urgency like some of these kids move dang slow and yeah. I've already yeah. spent four circles around them and like yeah but I'm also from New York so everything is fast-paced there yeah. like if you're slowing down you're losing so mm -hmm. in Oklahoma is very slow mm -hmm. Except when they're driving, they drive like maniacs. <laughs> but like in terms of service, it's yeah. like slow. And I'm more like, okay, Isn't no. Isn't ironic though? Because we're talking about a generation, not, I hate lumping everybody into, into generations, but for ease, uh, we're talking about a generation that expects things immediately, yet their work ethic doesn't support that yeah. immediacy. You know what I mean? It's weird. So. Yeah. Yep. No. And there, there's this, my old social studies teacher who I nannied for, she gives this example to her high schoolers still. And I'll never forget this. I was an assistant manager up in New York and one of my employees came in late, five minutes late, but they had Dunkin' Donuts coffee in their hand. And I sent them home. I was like, not, I'm like, you're late because you decided that you were going to stop and get a coffee when you didn't have enough time to get coffee. You've been late, you know, X amount of times go home. And she's like, you're didn't kidding, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm serious. I, I could hire someone that's going to be here on time. 
and appreciate the job and not just think going to get a coffee and being five minutes late is okay. Right. And um, so, yeah, my old social studies teacher tells all our seniors that like, you have to be prompt. You have to appreciate the job and do what they ask of you. Otherwise you're not going to have a job. <laughs> it's interesting how many people have such a fluid sense of time you know, lately. <laughs> um, I definitely am feeling my age a little bit because I, I really feel like I'm that guy who's like, these kids today, you know, but it does, it does. Oh, we got donuts. My wife got donuts. Uh, Is it from Duncan? I don't know. We got delivery. Um, but yeah, so much. I'm like, you know, these kids today can't be on time or they just don't work with a sense of urgency. Like I used to tell ushers, like, if I don't see you sweating by the end of this round, you're not working hard enough. And I just came from a nine screen theater where it's only 800 seats and they'll complain if there's only five of them. And it's like, <laughs> man, you know, I've worked at like a 24 screen theater where I only had three cleaning ushers. So I think you're going to be okay. You know? Yeah. So, well, hey, we, uh, I'm not just doing this because the donuts showed up, but we actually did just come up on an hour. Um, so okay well that was fun i'm yeah. glad we got to talk and i mean this is a weird time right now for i mean i went to bed at nine o'clock last night on a friday night oh. it was the weirdest thing ever so yeah. um i think it's great that we have our fellow gms to you know lean on and um, we're gonna get through this and pretty soon the doors will be open and yeah I'm glad everybody's staying in touch. I've, I don't know that I've ever talked to as many GMs on a regular basis as I have been in the last week and a half or so. And I think it's, it's pretty great. I think, you know, if we can find any silver linings in all of this, I think it's definitely been bonding for all of us. And, uh, and I certainly hope our company has a convention next year if they can make it work because that'll be probably the most emotional and bonding convention ever in the history of our company. <laughs> you know so yeah i've i've been listening to the late kenny kenny chesney's the gambler on my way to work to like get me going and i'm like i'm i'm not ready to fold him till i'm in vegas with all my gm friends again yeah. so until then yeah. i'm fighting this hand baby <laughs> well it'll be before you know it, we'll have long islands so all right thank you chris yeah, you take care stay safe thanks you too that's the podcast folks please visit kiarpodcast.com that's k-i-a-r podcast.com follow us on facebook instagram or twitter new episodes are going to be posted weekly on kiarpodcast.com spotify apple soundcloud and stitcher the views and opinions on this podcast are solely that of the guests and hosts and are not representative of any other organizations or individuals if you or someone you know are interested in being a guest on Karen Isn't Always Right, please give us a visit at kiarpodcast.com and submit your interest on the Contact Us page as we'd love to have you. Thanks for joining us on Karen Isn't Always Right, and we'll see you next time.